Hello and welcome to episode 329 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of... Wow. The NFC West leading Seattle Seahawks. There we go. You got excited about that. It's the <laughs> Earl Thomas edition. Honestly, one of the few ex-Seahawks who I don't think we heard from this last week. <laughs> really remarkably so. Yes, I think the uh, Cam Chancellor didn't weigh in, did he? I don't remember seeing Cam involved. But yeah, people people had ticks. Uh, people who, with Russell Wilson, did not go better than 7-9. and nine. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. Well, it is an exciting time. Obviously, it's football season, but you know, you know what else it is. You know what else September means. What does that mean? It's fresh hop season. Wow. Hashtag fresh hop season. All the hops. In the fresh hop region. They're fresh. Of the Pacific, of the state of Washington. And I thought this was the fresh hop region of the world. Well. We'd established that. These are, this is the fresh hop region of the universe. It was established that there are other plausible fresh hop regions, but it is I, the... Fresh hop I remember it being established that we were in the fresh hop region of the universe. Well, one of the... Uh, of this or any other universe. One of the breweries that is in said fresh hop region is Hellbent. There we go. And they have brought us this week the early harvest fresh hop IPAs. We are still early in hashtag fresh hop season. If your brewery is within driving distance of some of the best sustainable hop farms in the world, you have to take advantage of it. So when Roy Farms in Moxie, Washington, told uh, us their hops were ready, we drove right there. Oh, that city's got Moxie. We grabbed, well, I mean, you are a dad. We grabbed loads of fresh strata and Simcoe whole cone hops and put them straight into our early harvest IPA. The result is an IPA loaded with berry, tropical fruit, and citrus flavors. I'm going to say, I know those were the fresh hops, uh, with a hint of fresh cut grass in the aroma. Okay. Celebrate all that is great about the Pacific Northwest beer culture with this vibrant IPA. They only stay fresh for a short time, so get it while you can and drink it as soon as you are not driving or operating heavy machinery. There we go. Or recording a podcast? No, no, that's not enough. No, totally fine on recording a podcast. Here is the thing. This is the Early Harvest Fresh Hop IPA, and do you want to know, the Simpsons put this so eloquently, right? The best time of the week is the moment right after church ends on Sunday morning because it's the farthest moment from when you have church again. Yeah. This is like the Friday after Thanksgiving, right? Christmas season has just come, and you look ahead and you yeah, know that you've you got... to slip into the Bruce Springsteen voice for a second there. How you doing out there? <laughs> Christmas season's here. What, Not many. What time is it? But... You know that you've got the most Christmas season left. This is the exact opposite of New Year's Day right here. This, this is the beginning of fresh hop season. This is the beginning of fresh hop season. This is Memorial Day. This is which is the very right? beginning. Because it of. happens right after Labor Day and the end of the summer. Your, your bunny is quite the excited. The bunny is very well. excited about yeah. fresh hop season. I mean, maybe it smells that grass aroma. <laughs> oh, yeah, that grass aroma. <laughs> <laughs> you know the bunny is into that. The bunny's actually from Moxie, Washington. Did you know that? Wow, what are the odds? Yeah. All right, our toast this week. First off, congrats to Julio Rodriguez, whose stolen base Wednesday to go along with a leadoff home run made him the third rookie in MLB history with a 25-25 season, 
here we come. Now he's the youngest player ever to be 25, 25, right? Is he? I don't. I I didn't see that part of it. I don't know if that's actually true. I might have just made that up, but I definitely turned to Baby Fantasy Genius after and was like, "Because uh, balls in your court now." <laughs> wow, <laughs> he's a pitcher anyway. It's true. Uh, I because well, Fernando Tatis Jr. was one of the two players to do it faster in terms of games or age or something, right? So I feel like he could have gotten to twenty five, twenty five, back in those Halcyon days. Oh, but he did not. He did not. There we go. That was in his second season. He he got maybe in terms of games played, but he was twenty two sixteen as a rookie. So, oh. uh, I don't know. I've got Balls bad information. And clearly. Baby fantasy geniuses court. Okay. His countdown begins now. I, I don't know about the stolen base part of it. <laughs> He's extraordinarily slow. I'm not slow. saying the home run part of it is likely. I'm saying the stolen base part. Of yeah, it I like that you're willing to accept that he could hit 25 <laughs> home runs in the major leagues. But the As stolen bases, that's where, that's where we draw the line. Bridge too far. Uh, next up, congrats to Uchenna Nuoso, named NFC Defensive Player of the oh, Week. We didn't even really, like, I said that he had an amazing game on our post-game podcast, but we were too busy fighting about Russell Wilson. Yeah, there was we a lot of other stuff going on. Barely acknowledge Uchenna Nuoso. After recording a sack and a forced fumble, along with seven tackles and a pass defense in his Seahawks debut. And Kevin Pelton was not impressed. <laughs> no, I was impressed with Uchenna Nuoso. <laughs> I was not impressed with other elements of the Seahawks. Kevin Pelton hated every second of it. Uh, mixed emotions at best. At best? At best. Echenna Nuoso is awesome. You can't even tell me he's not. I'm not. Again, the emotions about Echenna Nuoso were not. Well, actually, they were. Because this is where my take comes back to. The Seahawks found like a 25-year-old defensive player who was really good in free agency. And they only signed him to a two-year contract. But we're not going to get caught up on that. We're just toasting Echenna Nuoso at the moment. All right, lastly, congrats to Alex Mandricki, who was promoted by the Kraken to assistant GM. Mandricki was the first hockey operations hire by the Kraken back in June, June 2019 as director of hockey administration. So uh, a well-deserved promotion for her. The Kraken will host rookie camp next Monday and Tuesday before the full opening of training camp next Thursday. Winter is coming. Oh, I don't, I don't like this. <laughs> Look, we're the in early, we're in early harvest fresh hop season. You know, don't you, remind me of winter. Oh. That's what this. The best thing about this is that we are the farthest point away from winter and still in fresh hop season. I, uh, you're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to wrap my mind around the furthest point. We're the furthest point at away from winter that we could be in fresh hop season. Yeah. I mean, honestly, what about that doesn't make sense it, to you? It was fresh hop season. Last week, I just missed it. I didn't see any of them at, at Beer Star when I went to go get beer. But uh, looking online, it seemed like they were out. Asleep at the wheel. Well, you know where I was not asleep at the wheel. There we go. And that's searching. Wow. For the Pacific Northwest best Italian beef sandwich. I don't know about that transition. <laughs> you don't know about that transition? Yeah. That was very professional. It was a little bit late fresh hop season. Oh, wow. Well, as long as it was still fresh hop season at all. <laughs> Late hop, fresh hop season is still fresh hop season. Uh, so previously recall that we had tried Italian beef sandwiches in Portland at Sandwich and in West Seattle at West of Chicago. Now, the Seattle Times, after we began asking the listener mm -hmm. and talking about Italian beef sandwiches in Seattle, obviously took the tip yeah, we and know. wrote about it. Yeah, we know. Did you know that they wrote about Russell Wilson after we talked about him too? <laughs> what are the odds? God. What are the odds? 
Uh, they mentioned that uh, some Chicagoans, Chicagoites, ex- Chicago expats, let's go with, uh, felt the best Italian beef in the city. It was at Smarty Pants. Okay. Which is a sandwich place. It's not like Chicago style everything in the same way as west of Chicago. And apparently there also is an Italian beef at the Chicago place in U Village, whose name now escapes me. But the recommendation we got on Twitter that was, was that it was not a particularly strong Italian beef sandwich. Uh, so Smarty Pants is a sandwich place, but the owners happen to be from Chicago. There happen to be Chicago ties. So therefore they have the Italian beef on their menu. And I got to say, so I've been to Smarty Pants. Uh, I went one time to the location in Georgetown previously and had a sandwich and one time to the Burian location because when we were doing our chef series, Eric Rivera, I think it was Eric Rivera, or was it? It was not Eric Rivera. Monica Demas said that the burger at Smarty Pants was is her favorite burger in Seattle. So I went and tried that afterwards, and it was very good. It was not as good as the Rudders Tavern burger, which I've now had three consecutive weeks. I thought you were going to say and days. Remains, remains and I was going to be like, toast to that, too. Oh. That should have been in the toast. That would have been a toast. <laughs> Anyways. Three consecutive weeks of tavern burgers, not... Not that impressive? Yeah. You did have COVID in between, right? No. Okay. I, had, I did go right before I got COVID. <laughs> and then the first day after I was... Out of my court yeah. isolation. So you period, had COVID in between. Yeah, in the three weeks. That's I no, think but that's then I've impressive. been the three consecutive weeks or since that last wow. since the COVID period. I'm spending a lot of time on Loretta's. Well, one time I got them takeout. Oh, okay. Because I was eating back at uh, back at the the ancestral home in Boulevard Park. <laughs> Anyways, that's not the point here. The point is the very first place I went after leaving isolation was to Smarty Pants to get the Italian beef sandwich there, and so I thought the bun was maybe not quite as good at the one of Western Chicago, but this, I felt like, achieved what I really want in an Italian beef sandwich, which is that the beef has been cooked in the juices Mm -hmm. created when it was originally cooked. It's been sliced up and then cooked in that, and that creates a really flavorful beef that doesn't even necessarily require, you know, the the cheese or cheese whiz that you have on a cheesesteak or some of the other kind of similar variants to the Italian beef in yep. other cities. Because you got to dress up beef a little bit. But not this beef. Wow. Okay. Because it was that flavorful. This is Seattle's best Italian beef that I found. That seen wow. Before. Yeah. That's incredible. A clear winner. We are going to have barbecue again at some point. Are we? I think so. I don't know. I haven't given up it's on barbecue to me. completely. I've been to two barbecue locations that you haven't been to. I don't know why. Three. I think life got in the way, but life's over now. Is it? Yeah, Russell Wilson's played here. Baby Fantasy Genius still has so many baseball practices. It's not that many. Okay, well, look, I'm ready to go whenever. I want to, but I also want to try this Italian beef. Yeah, you should definitely try it. With that, I guess it's time to get into your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariner's hot takes coming at you. Play by Carlos Santana. Now, I hate to keep bringing up Monday night, but <laughs> it was one of the most important nights in Seattle sports history. So I think it would be unfair to not mention it at least one more time. It was a night when we learned something new about beloved players we've been watching for years. You know what I'm talking about. 
J.P. Crawford and Ty France. That's right. Ty France, J.P. Crawford, Marco Gonzalez, and the hometown hero, Jake Lamb, are boys sitting in the hawk's nest like the proletariat heroes they are. While the former Seahawks watch from the sideline and prep their Twitter fingers, the real team that represents Seattle is drinking beers and having themselves a time. We've got Ty France sipping on a draft beer. Looks like maybe it's a Mac and Jack's. Uh, there, there's no photo here. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I analyzed it, though. I crunched the numbers. JP with a Bud Light in the aluminum can. Marco with 16 ounces of something unrecognizable. Probably a Topo Chico seltzer. And what's even more is the Mariners in the hawk's nest in direct opposition to their opponent these last two days. The very bourgeois Juan Soto who walked in with bodyguards and was misrecognized online as drinking a Rainier. I crunched the numbers on that too. That was a Bud Light raspberry seltzer if I've ever seen one. And you know where those bodyguards gets you? Fighting for your life in the wild card. Couldn't be Ty and JP. But my only regret was not having seats in the hawk's nest. So next time, boys, section 316, the beers will be flowing and the Rainiers will be on us. Wow. Wow. So was this just the single photo that I originally saw circulate online? or was Yeah, Marco Gonzalez photo? is just there. And people didn't even mention him because he's not as like, recognizable. Or J- he's as... kind of like sitting down on the right. end. Right. And Jake Ty, Ty is standing up. Ty's standing up. JP's pointing. Yeah. Yeah. But all, there, were, there was also, apparently, Eric Swanson was in the house. Paul Seawald was in the house. I mean, the, the day off for the Mariners tight, lined up very oh, well. With it was I mean, obviously, it was because of Monday Night Football and not wanting to have those games go on simultaneously. But, but seeing Juan Soto walk in, I'm just like, with bodyguards and stuff like that, it's like, come on, Juan Soto. Ty France isn't an all-star, too. He's not scared. He's well, but he plays for the Mariners. Like you he wants to Mariners fans would hassle no, because the Padres so. are <laughs> spring training rival Padres. The Eddie Vedder Cup. <laughs> they've they've built it up over these years. One the hatred the, for the Padres. One like, by the Mariners. The Eddie Vedder no Cup. There's no San Diego wave. There is a situation coming. It was one by the Mariners. Well, they yeah, they took three of four, right? Yeah, that's yeah. how it works. Uh, there is a situation coming. I don't don't have the Seahawks schedule in my Google Calendar, so I'm gonna have to go somewhere else to look for this. I believe if the Mariners are end up hosting the Wild Card series, that they would that series would go opposite a Seahawks game, or maybe it's the ALDS. Maybe it's if they get to the ALDS. October 9th, when the Mariners. So that, that that would be the day. But the thing is, I don't think the Mariners are gonna need that October 9th day. Oh wow! Wow. They, they're at the Saints that day. So the, it must be the ALDS. It must be the uh, October 16th. Hosting the Cardinals? Yeah. Shit, I've seen the Cardinals play. I might just watch baseball instead. <laughs> oh, wow. What a shift in this podcast. So the three wild card teams. Seeing them at the game was the most exciting part of Monday night. <laughs> in the AL, still all within a game and a half. The Blue Jays, a half game up on the Mariners to host that wild card series at this point. The Rays, one game back. And they've all opened up separation over the Baltimore Orioles, four and a half games back of the Mariners. So the playoff odds, they are very high at this point. Uh, Mitch Haniger left Sunday's game with lower back tightness, missed both games versus San Diego as the Mariners split those two with Sam Onofrio Hagerty. Starting in right field against right-handed pitching, 
And the Mariners finally seeing their losing their winning streak, a nine game winning streak in Sam Haggerty starts snapped on Monday night or Tuesday night with you Darvish just dealing on the mound. But Wednesday afternoon there we go. day game back on track in a six one victory. Look, nine out of ten ain't bad. <laughs> I'll really take it. it. I mean his winning percentage is not that far off. He's at a seventy five percent win percentage as That's a starter. Correct. So the more we can see him in the starting lineup, the, the better. The 1906 Cubs should be a little bit scared again. Left-handed pitchers, right-handed pitchers, uh, Pat Venditti, mm-hmm. and no matter what, I want to see it. He's the switch pitcher? Yes. <laughs> no matter what, I want to see Sam Haggerty in the lineup. Uh, Mariners now headed out at a 10-game road trip, starting with a four-game set this weekend in Anaheim. And as you mentioned last week, the schedule, a lot of teams that are not headed to the playoffs on the schedule. That's it. There's none. Yes. It's done. The rest of the way. Anything else on the Mariners? Guess not. Honestly, I, I mean, the loss that they had to you, it was really, like, frustrating to watch. I mean, we did the emergency pod on Sunday. I just think the mindset change is, is something that's different, right? There's no same old Mariners. This isn't like the LA Chargers, and you can kind of feel the ghosts of the Chargers a little bit. You know, it's one of those situations where the Mariners are just a different team. This isn't like we expect them to choke in the ninth. We go into the ninth inning, and I saw on even the game against the Padres on Tuesday night, and the Mariners ended up being down two runs in the bottom of the ninth in that one. Yeah. And I definitely thought to myself, I mean, Julio gets on. Julio has a single, and France is up. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I think Ty France might hit a two-run jack here. I mean, he did hit it hard, right? No, he struck out. Oh, he, I don't know what <laughs> he fouled the ball off like 15 times and then struck out. <laughs> but, but even going into that situation, saying to yourself, there's a chance, like yeah. it, it is a wildly different thing than any baseball we've experienced for the last two decades of, of those moments when you, we would constantly go. I remember going into ninth innings or like a 3-0 game or whatever, and I was like, I'm not even going to bother watching because right. there's not a chance. And now the Mariners feel like they're in every game, and I think that's what's really exciting about it is, you know, baseball can be... Baseball as a sport is not boring. Baseball, when you get to August and September with a team that's not in the hunt at all, is kind of just like, what are we doing here, right? There's a a lot of playing out the string. Yes. So, which we're going to see a lot of from the other teams for the next couple of weeks. Um, But Angels really should shut down Shohei Otani and save him for 2023. They'll probably trade him this offseason. But... The well, both on the like single you know, game you level. You know who would be in on that trade? I mean, I guess too many of the pitching pros- the prospects got traded for Castillo, but I don't think they're trading in the Mariners. But both on the single on the individual game level of feeling like they can come back at any time, and then on the larger level of they are playing meaningful baseball. Right? These are games against the fucking Angels and the A's and the Tigers and the Royals. But to the Mariners, it matters. And we're we're on this crash course for the playoffs of just take care of business during this time period, pick up that number one wild card spot, and play some home playoff games in Seattle. I like it. Yeah, uh, the I mean to your point about it not feeling like the same old Mariners, it, like Julio Rodriguez is just he's the timeline and he's also he prevents that from being possible because he feels none of that. He's just having so much fun out there. Uh, his excited reaction to Carlos Santana's home run today was great to watch when he was on the base pass and one of the three, three, the two runners on who scored along with Santana on that three-run homer. 
like he's changed things. Not, I mean, last year's team obviously was in the mix as well. And I don't think there was the same old Mariners feel, even though they came up just short. But Julio changes everything. Wasn't there, though? Didn't we go into this offseason? Like, we were all very excited. But didn't you definitely predicted this. But that, that wasn't Mar- necessarily a same old Mariners. That was a run differential. Fun but it differential was the same take. old Mariners because you were like, they're up and then the expectations hit and all of a sudden they're down. Okay. And it looked like that. It well, looked like fair. that for a period of time. But this is different. Well, maybe we'll wait until we're, I think yeah. by this time next week, we might have a magic number of some kind also. Um, wow. I hadn't even con- contemplated the possibility. Well, I mean, you could make a magic number at any point. Uh, it's always a magic number. <laughs> at the beginning of the season, it's 162. If you win all of them, you're going to make the playoffs, guaranteed. Well, I don't think, I, mathematically, you're better at math than to say it's 162 at the beginning of the season. What do you mean? Isn't it? Well, other teams have to lose. Yeah, but there were, like, if it could go evenly that 15 teams win all of the games, I guess, or something like that. No. 15 teams win 162 games. No, I guess that that wouldn't make any sense. No, you're right. This is a fair point. All right. I rescind my comment. <laughs> uh, Seattle Sounders trying to extend their playoff streak. Got a good result for that in that regard. Sun- Saturday as they beat Austin FC 3-0 with Raul Ruiz Diaz scoring twice in the first 35 minutes of the game. Sounders then added a third via own goal in the second half. Kind of a shockingly lucky performance in terms of expected goals. They had 1.2 shot-based expected goals and just 0.4 non-shot, uh, according to the. I guess uh, the, the magic number at the beginning of the season is 163. Because one other team in your division could. I you know, I think I don't know. That seems. I got to think more about this one. I got to wrap my mind around it. Uh. Sounders did allow just one shot on goal, blocking half of Austin's 10 attempts, while putting four of their five shots on frame. Sounders still four points out of a playoff spot with four matches to go. The good news, such as it is, is it's a friendly schedule the rest of the way. They will play three of the bottom four teams in the Western Conference standings starting Saturday north of the border in Vancouver. Whitecaps have been tough to beat at home in B... Uh, what is the name of that stadium now? The former BC place going 7-4-3, and three, but coming off three consecutive losses, two of those on the road. So another situation where the Sounders really need full points from that one to stay alive in the playoff race. O.L. Reign had a wild back-and-forth 2-2 draw Friday against the Chicago Red Stars in their return from the international break that saw teams come in for 37 shots, 13 of them on goal. The rain took an early lead through a Jordan Heidema rebound score, but the Red Stars equalized on the edge of halftime and took a lead via penalty in the 68th minute before the rain salvaged a draw with Rose Lavelle scoring in the 80th. Rain had the better of shots on goal with nine of them. That result maintained the rain in fifth place with four matches to go, three of those coming in an eight-day span on the road starting Saturday in North Carolina against the Courage, who sit eighth in the NWSL table with the top six teams making the playoffs. On Wednesday, the rain will visit cellar-dwelling Gotham FC, having blown out Gotham FC at home and uh, looking to do the same on the road. All right, that moves us right ahead. Uh, It's like the fastest podcast of all time. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of strange. Well, we've got some football to discuss this week. 
starting with UW, which moved to 2-0 and with a 52-6 to win Saturday against Portland State. You didn't see any of this game? I saw zero snaps in this game. And you know what was amazing? I loved seeing zero snaps in this game. <laughs> Because I went into it being like, the Huskies are going to crush Portland State. I don't need to watch it and worry. And I I casually checked in every once in a while, and the Husky score kept going up every time I checked in, and the Portland State score stayed about the same, and that was great. Like, having that confidence in the team when they're playing against a bad team to just take care of business, seeing the Michael Penix stat line throughout the game, just like, we're good. That's it. Yeah. It, I mean, I... I also saw none of this game since I was traveling to Las Vegas on Saturday. And uh, yeah, kept following it through Twitter, and all the news was good. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. sharp again. Huskies scored touchdowns on their first four possessions. Never looked back. Penix finished 20 of 27 for 337 yards for two touchdowns and his first pick of the season. So time to have a quarterback controversy. Uh, Dylan Morris did get one drive in the fourth quarter. Sam Heward got two, led a touchdown... Uh, score on one of those two. At running back, Wayne Talapapa was impressive again with 12 carries for 94 yards and a touchdown. Cameron Davis scored twice, had 70 yards on 10 carries. And in thrilling news, Richard Newton returned for, from the ACL tear. He suffered last season for 10 carries in the fourth quarter, totaling 59 yards. At receiver, Jalen and McMillan and Giles Jackson became the first pair of UW receivers with at least 100 receiving yards in the same game wow. since 2016 at Cal. Who? Dante? Uh, John Ross and John, Dante. John Ross? Ross I believe. Okay. That was a game where John Ross had at least a couple of touchdowns. I was in attendance at that one. And we just beat the crap out of Cal. Yeah. 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 Definitely the Cal crowd left very early. Uh, it was a great, great time. Great time. That was the year we went to the Peach Bowl, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, true freshman Denzel Boston got into this one, caught his first career pass, also scored a two-yard two yard touchdown. Defensively, the Huskies held Portland State quarterback Dante Sasha Ray to 6 of 17, passing for 50 yards after his big game against San Jose State and five yards on seven carries. Quarterbacks did have some issues in this one. There was a drop in the end zone. There were some penalties. Uh, Huskies were playing without Jordan Perryman at cornerback, although he is expected to return this week, kind of a minor injury. Uh, Huskies recorded four sacks with uh, Braylon Trice having one and a half to lead the way. Uh, other injury news, Rome Adunze dressed but did not play due to what Kalen DeBoer called a minor ailment, so he's also expected back this week. Jackson Kirkland did not play, still working back from the injury that caused him to drop out of the NFL draft. Uh, certainly this is the week you would hope to see him because shit's about to get real for yeah. the Huskies in a hurry. Michigan State coming to town this Saturday. The first ranked, this was kind of a a a lot of variables. It was like a very baseball stat. The first ranked Power 5 conference opponent to visit Husky Stadium since 2010. What? Yeah. God, that shows how bad the Pac-12 has been. No, no, no non-conference. Non-conference. It was yeah, did Bo- I not get Boise that State came. Boise State must have been the ranked. I assume in the it was, first game at Husky Stadium, they were ranked. Yeah, when Chris Peterson came to town and we just beat the crap out of him. Yes, and yeah. you declared how much you thought Chris Peterson was a bad coach based on that game. No, no, we knew he was playing 40 chess. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. That's how good of a coach Chris Peterson is. Played that... the real long game. Uh I'm a little bit surprised by that because I feel like there have been good opponents here, but 
Not really. It was Nebraska, I assume, was the last yeah, one Nebra- in 2010. That was the Burn Your Jersey game? That was the Burn Your Jersey game. I mean, there was that stretch where... Played uh, nonstop was, great teams. I was reminiscing about the 2008 Oklahoma game at one point recently. Notre Dame was in there at one point. Sam Bradford? I think we played those back-to-back. There, yeah, there was definitely a year where they played like two of those games when in we the played, same season. That was earlier. We played Notre Dame and USC or something back-to-back. My... my not freshman year of college, my junior, my first year at UW. Yeah. The schedule used to be too much too hard. The schedule but has been much too hard. Unless you at home. Do you remember that? That was long. That was back in that range, though. Yeah. That was Sark's first game. Oh, so it was that against been 2009. LSU. Yeah. And we played competently but lost. Yeah. So it's been a while. It's been a long string of like the non-conference opponents have been like, who come to the Husky Stadium. B- like, oh, BYU must have been ranked too. Possible, yeah. The year that Jake threw the ball in the air and got the penalty. That was, but that was two thousand. That was two thousand eight. Oh my god, we're very old. Wow, Do you not know that? the thing that I've learned from the stat is I'm really old. Oh yeah, we are. Super These things old. feel like yesterday. <laughs> I don't know. Does you kicking a trash can on the way out of the old Husky Stadium feel like yesterday? Kind of. Oh, no. <laughs> there were some times last year where I wouldn't have minded kicking oh, a trash can. Fair. Uh, there was, there's was. there been like some Syracuse and some Illinois have been kind of the like power five non-conference opponents that they've hosted lately. I mean, this is this is how a schedule should be set up, in my opinion. I, I honestly think that we should completely get rid of non-conference games, but... I've gotten maybe complicated feelings about college football right now. Yeah, I don't think that there should ever be games against Portland State or whatever. Or they should be literal preseason games. Preseason games. Yeah, I mean, to me, it always has been the ABC model of scheduling. Like, you should play one one, like legitimate team on your level. Uh, Michigan State's probably above your level at this point. I mean... And then I think a team in the BYU range... BYU's maybe been better than that the last few years, but BYU is the right type of second opponent to me. Yeah. And then one team that you would expect to beat easily and have a chance to play your reserves. BYU, Fresno State, San Diego State, those types oh, of schools. Oh, I would love to see a Fresno State matchup now. I don't think, I don't know if Kalen DeBoer is interested in that, but uh, that Oregon State Fresno State game last I, Saturday. How did it's Jake thriller. look with Jeff Tedford and not? Because I think this is an important thing to monitor. I don't know. I didn't watch the game. Okay. I'm just aware that it happened. You, you don't know how he played, Jake? I didn't watch any, I watched a little college football. There was like a window where I was back in my hotel room, but in the evening I was out. So. It was a pretty fun college football day. I mean, I wasn't even watching a lot of it, right? I'm out, I'm out at Rattlesnake Lake. For me, it was the end of fresh hop season. Like the, it was like, this is the end of summer. This is the last weekend. You know that like. It's li- 63 degrees on Saturday. Smoke is coming. Clouds are coming. And to Mrs. Fantasy Genius. Football is coming. Yeah. And it was kind of like, this was one weekend. So you have to play on Monday. I'm just still going to be sitting at home all Sunday. But it was like, this was a weekend to uh, skip a Husky game and not pay any attention. But I don't think that I've, first off, a lot of other people skipped this Husky game. It was not just. Well, a- also there's smoke too. It's a yes. pretty, pretty weird environment. But, but I've had this one circled from the second that I saw it was on the calendar. From the second they hired Keelan DeBoer. And I said to you immediately, immediately. Michigan State ain't shit. 
And it was just like... Th- I mean, you have been very dismissive of Michigan State the entire time. This this was one game where it just felt like the exact nexus of a beatable team that is also going to be very, very hyped coming into Husky Stadium against a revamped Husky football team. And I think what we're going to see... Why are you stealing my take here, Altex, Tristan? This is my this was my bold prediction. When? The bold prediction podcast last year. That we were gonna beat Michigan State? Not just that we would beat Michigan State. What? That we would beat a top ten ranked Michigan State. So and I was watching just, very anxiously. Was watching very anxiously the results on Saturday. And enough rate well, so the AP poll, they're number eleven. But the coaches poll, they're number go. nine. Okay. So therefore they qualify as a top 10 ranked team. And it played out exactly as I thought, because my logic was they, I had looked at some of the preseason, like the way too early predictions, and they were like 14-15. But I was like, their first two games are uh, Western Akron. Michigan yeah. and Akron. They'll be 2-0. and Some other ranked teams will lose ahead of them. You got they a little bit lucky with 10. some of those losses. I, you know. You definitely I, could not have predicted Appalachian State. I, I didn't predict the specifics. Didn't predict the... I mean, not that they... You also the you were watching a football, very fun Texas-Alabama uh, game. I streamed that on my phone well on the flight. Thank you, streaming fast Wi-Fi on Alaska. Shouts to that. So, uh... You were able to stream that? Yeah. Wow! It was... It, not only did I stream that, I was watching a movie... And streaming that on my phone. I was watching wow. movie on my computer. So I was multitasking. God, I love modern modern uh Isn't air it travel. amazing? And you have the free internet for the entire flight with T Mobile. Correct. God. Alaska Airlines is great. Uh okay, so tell us about Michigan State though. What have they done in these first two games? Well, let's let's start by talking about the Huskies real oh. quick. Because they received six votes in the coaches poll, number forty four overall. None in the AP poll, which has well, a much smaller pool of teams that got votes. Offensive. Do you know where they now rank in FPI after go, starting the season? I mean, I've now? looked. 25th? They are up to why does that? Sh- why does it surprise you? The team, they are just a good team. They are one of the 15 best teams in the country. <sighs> I'm not ready to go that far. I'm ready to go that they're about the 25th best team in the country. And you But know, where do they start in FPI and where are they now? Uh, I think they started... Outside the 40, 40 or lower, for sure. They've moved up at least 15 spots. I'll tell you, they have not lost to Appalachian State. They didn't lose to Wazoo at home. Yeah, but it, it, that's not necessarily the reason. It's because of the fact that they've... They've played well, and they've played efficient. Yeah. And they have an experienced quarterback. They have a good defense and experienced quarterback. I, I just don't... I didn't understand going into the season why the Huskies were where they were in the Pac-12 preseason, Right? Like in the I think pre- it's probably because they went five and seven last season. But everything is different. Who cares if they went five and seven? That would be like predicting the Broncos over under should be six and a half. Is Michael Penix Jr. not the Russell Wilson of college football? <laughs> I feel like if he returns to Indiana, it'll be a lot, lot friendlier. Did, did you see, by the way, Bobby Wagner saying that the Seahawks fans treated Russell Wilson like any other quarterback? Like, I don't know about that one, Russ, or Bobby. I don't know about that. I don't think it was like, oh, next I time. I think what he meant was the Seahawks defense treated Russell Wilson oh, like he was any other quarterback. Wow. Davis Mills, an about to retire. God, who is the dude for the Eagles? I always forget this dude's name. McCown. Uh, Josh McCown. Yeah. A 40-plus Josh McCown. Uh, 
Jared Goff being coming back in after being benched in a playoff game. The Seahawks defense treated Russell Wilson like he was any other quarterback in that game. I don't think that's what he meant. Anyways. Anyways. Any time that people are like, Russ is going to be good this year, he shredded the Seahawks defense. I'm like, Russ is going to be good this year. He shredded the Seahawks defense. I, I think Russ is going to be good. I think I'm he's should, better than Derek Carr. I'm continuing to stand on that one. Derek Carr would have gone for 410 against that defense. Yeah, Come yeah, on. How many interceptions? Uh, I, I'm still a little scarred by last season in a way that you clearly aren't. And it's a different team. We also team. just haven't seen There is the, a different... There literally a, I, is a different quarterback and a different running back. Like, a lot of the team is very different. I the whole scheme... They pass on early downs now. But we also haven't seen them play against a team that is remotely competitive with them. And that's where we're going to learn a lot about Toskies this weekend. I mean, yeah, this is it. So now let's talk about Michigan State, who have started, which has started 2-0 with those home wins. Beat Western Michigan 35-13. Akron 52 to nothing last Saturday. They are number 11 in FPI. And thus far, the defense, ranking 19th in FPI efficiency, has been ahead of the offense, which ranks 47th. That's a change from last season when they finished in the top 25 in all three phases, going 11-2 in Mel Tucker's first full season is head coach beating Pitt in the Peach Bowl. It was the first 10-win season for Michigan State since 2017. Uh, they had four players drafted from that team, but just one in the first five rounds, that of course being <laughs> Seahawks' second round pick. Of course. Ken Walker the third. And one season in Lansing as a transfer, Walker had 1,636 Wow, where was Ken Walker yards. beforehand? Ooh, I had no question. I If you would have asked me, I would have assumed that Ken Walker was there for the entire time. I'm a little bit shocked that I had never once heard this information about Ken Walker. Yeah, it didn't really come up a whole lot, I would say. Uh, he was previously at Wake Forest, where he ran for precisely 579 yards both seasons, although the second year obviously was in seven games with the shortened COVID season. And had 13 touchdowns that from scrimmage. Is that right? Yeah, 13 touchdowns in seven games. That was pretty good. Uh Transfers Jalen Berger and Jarek Broussard, whose final game at Colorado came against UW last November, are splitting time at running back for Michigan State. The return starting quarterback Peyton Thorne, who finished third in big, the Big Ten in QBR last season, is a third-year freshman. Shaky start to this season, completed 12 of 24 passes against Western Michigan, albeit four of those 12 completions going for touchdowns, and had a pair of interceptions against Akron for three total <laughs> in 52 attempts this God, season. we're going to feast. All right, let's remain calm you, you sound like me talking about the Seahawks last week. Favorite target is Jaden Reed, who had 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns last season and is at eight catches for 107 yards thus far this season, but left in the second quarter of last week's game, did not return. Uh, Mel Tucker said he's, quote, sore. Seems like the consensus is he will probably play in this one. Uh, fellow wide receiver Keon Coleman has six catches for 120 yards, and true freshman Jeremy Bernard, previously committed to Utah. I was going to say, I recognize that name when he said it, and yeah. then... Has three catches for 73 yards and a touchdown in his first two college games. I mean, you basically look at this Michigan State offense, and th this is exactly what I anticipated from Michigan State as a Big Ten team coming here, right? They pounded the rock last year. They ran the ball, lost Ken Walker. It's a different offense. But these Big Ten quarterbacks, aside from Michael Penix Jr., of course, <laughs> he's now an ex-Big Ten quarterback. There's always something a little bit off about a Big Ten quarterback 
right? When they transfer, maybe they look pretty good. But I feel like some Ohio State quarterbacks have looked pretty good. But but also in the second tier, right? Like the second tier of, of Big Ten quarterbacks, they always get a little bit boosted because these teams run the ball a ton, right? They're in they're in pass friendly situations when they do have to pass. Also, Russell Wilson, Big Ten quarterback, or whatever. The pass, for, there's a lot of Big Ten quarterbacks for a season in a friendly offense. But you understand what I'm saying. I think I there, do, yes. there are a lot of Big Ten quarterbacks that are not actually that good, and they're gonna, you know, that'll be like the third string quarterback for the Bears in a couple of years or whatever, like. That's, I'm always pretty skeptical about I mean, Big Ten. that sounds like a lot of ex-UW quarterbacks. This this is, again, for the time being, while the Big Ten still means something, this is what I'm, like, this is what Midwestern quarterbacks have tended to be so far. And I look at this, and you see them coming against a, a UW defense that Jimmy Lake or not is still looking like a pretty good defense. They, I got they, some concerns about the secondary. I think, were, again, we're going to find out a lot about this secondary this week. If if Jordan Perryman is back, they are still a very talented secondary, and the idea that Michigan State is going to be able to move the ball against them, I I just don't see it. This game does not come down to Michigan State's offense against UW's defense. This game comes down to Michael Penix experience against a team like Michigan State against this Michigan State defense, and it's going to come down to can UW outscore Michigan State in this game. Well, the good news here is that their pass defense was actually not very good last season. This is kind of shocking how mediocre they were. They ranked 11th among the 14 schools in the Big Ten in pass defense in terms of yards per attempt last season. And opponents threw a lot of passes against them, 44.5 per game, in part because they were a pretty stingy run defense, allowing only 3.4 yards per carry Great. on the ground. God, imagine how Jimmy like, would have game planned for this game. Oh, no. <laughs> You'd been like, they're really good against the run, so we're going to want to pound the rock. Please don't make me. <laughs> uh, for the record, Michael Penix Jr. faced Michigan State twice while at Indian, did not face them last season due to his injury. Uh, one in 2020, going 25 of 38 for 320 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, lost in 2019. completed Under th- Kalen DeBoer. Yeah, completed 33 of 42 passes for 286 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, but it was a 42, or I'm sorry, that was the, what was the final there? Uh, what was the final there? Yeah, I guess it's not on here. They lost. They lost that game. They did lose, but I'm, I'm curious how high scoring it was. 40 to 31 was the I, final. I think that if it's radically, that's before Mel Tucker or whatever. Right, yes. Yes, I'm not sure how much that's telling us. Uh Michigan State also dealing with some injuries on the defensive side of the football. They've lost two starters. Linebacker Darius Snow, who, believe it or not, is Eric Snow's son. Pokey. Yeah. Another sign we're old. And safety Xavier Henderson. I mean, there's players who are so much younger oh, than Pokey Snow. There's like NFL players who played like in the 2000s whose children sure. are in the NFL right now. Uh, lost them both to long-term injuries against Western Michigan. Michigan State has forced six turnovers. Where did Pokey Snow go? Michigan State. He went to Michigan State, too? As did his brother... Percy Snow, who played football there and later played in the NFL. So nice. there's a there's a significant Snow family legacy at Michigan State. Uh, have forced six turnovers through their first two games, but all of them on fumbles uh, thus far. So I don't know that we'll necessarily see the same kind of fumbling difficulties for the Huskies in this game. It's also the first meeting 
between these two teams since the 1997 Aloha Bowl. Oh, I remember it well. Won by the Huskies 51-23 to against Nick Saban Spartans. God. It's only their second all-time visit to Seattle. They played here in 1970. Oh, it's a great matchup that was. But they'll play here regularly when the Huskies end up at the Big Dog. <laughs> Every four years or so. <laughs> uh, I, I just could not feel better about this game. I, I felt good about this game even before seeing this breakdown. But you look at the injuries that Michigan State has at key positions. Like, their offense is going to have a hard time moving the ball against UW. That's my biggest concern. I'm, I'm not sold on this UW secondary post, Jimmy Lake. But are you sold on this Michigan State's offense's ability to move the ball against them? No, that to I'm me not is, sold on either of them. That's why we're going to learn some stuff. I, I think... Look, if this was Lincoln Riley coming to town, I maybe would feel a little bit different. But, you know, if this was Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, I'd maybe feel a little bit different. Another Big Ten team. But this Michigan State team, with where they're at, they're a little bit overhyped. But still very good. I I don't think they are overhyped, actually. Again, they're 11th in the AP poll, and they're 11th in the FPI. They were a little overhyped last season. But FPI also has a baseline starting expectation. Sure. So, I mean, how can two victories... I don't victories... think they've been the 11th best team so far this year, no. So then, I that means nothing to me. Well, you only learn so much from two games. The reason the starting expectation is in there is because it allows you to make better predictions. I, I, I accept that, but I don't think FPI necessarily means that much, especially if they're hovering in the same range as where they started because of polling being a factor. Like... Michigan State, not because of polling being a factor, or because of last season's FBI being a factor, or whatever. Yeah. However, that's being taken. This is not the same team as it was last year. This is a different Michigan State team. Last year, they were probably where did they finish in FBI last season? Probably about the same spot. So, I I just I'm looking at this UW team. I'm looking at what's happened. The Michael Penix Jr. that we've seen through the first two games, the calm, the comfort in the pocket. But it's, stepping again, up. it's what? one thing to be comfortable in the pocket when you're playing against Portland State and you're not You didn't even touched. mention their pass rusher, who I think leads the NFL or college football in sacks so far. Well, that was, that was something I missed in my research. <laughs> uh, but... Maybe you want to look that up now. Okay. Good. I'm going to get going on that. But, but I do accept that there could be a pass rush from Michigan State that the Huskies have not seen so far in these first two games. But the UW offensive line has looked quite good so far. The idea of possibly Ooh, getting boy, Jackson. Five and a half sacks from Jacoby Winman. But it's kind of like... that. I mean... Is he good? I mean, yes. he had six and a half all of last season. Is this possibly an outlier? But like, why are you saying the Michigan State performance against lesser opponents doesn't mean anything to you, but the UW performance against lesser opponents means everything? Because Michael Penix Jr. has a history of this. And I'm also sure. talking about the UW Peyton team. Thorne has a history of this, too. You know, he played a lot better last season. I, I grant that he was in a good situation, but still. Michael Penix Jr. has been a very good quarterback in the Big Ten under Kalen DeBoer. And we've seen him just, we have not seen that kind of calm in the pocket. Honestly, I, I will put him up against Jake Brown and Keith Price, anybody. These for, Again, it's two games. It's two very neutral games. Very comfortable situations. But the way that Michael Penix Jr. has looked, he seems like the best quarterback that I have personally ever seen oh on Montlake in person. Are you counting Marcus Tuyas as a, as a passer? 
Well, yeah, I mean, not in that regard, no. I don't know if I ever once went to go see Marcus Tuyas Sopo in person, but you're also, that's, we're getting pretty far back here with Marcus Tuyas Sopo. But yes, like, I'm, I'm taking Michael Penix Jr. over Marcus Tuyas Sopo in this situation. But like, so far, again, it's been two games. I gotta he, say, ain't, ain't played nobody, Paul. We'll see. We'll see after this week if he plays with the same level of comfort and confidence that he does in these games. Accuracy. Like, Michael Penix Jr. looks to me like if injuries weren't an issue. He looks like a first-round draft pick. And not a pretend first-round draft pick like Jake Locker. He looks like an actual one, right? He looks like somebody who's not going to be overhyped, but actually is going to have the stats that will match it. How do you not see this? I... He's the best fucking quarterback we have ever seen at UW. Again, Dylan Morris last year threw for like 13 yards an attempt against but Eric Dylan State. Dylan Morris, when you, I, I'm talking even purely like eye test watching Michael Penix. But I, I, because it backs it up. The stats back it up too. I think the eye test is affected by who you're playing against. And it, I think one of the Dylan things the Morris eye test in no is situation. notoriously Did bad at. Did you watch Dylan Morris and you were like, oh damn, Never. Never with Dylan Morris. What, what situation did you watch Dylan Morris and be like, wow, he's just sitting back there all day in the pocket. He's got all the time in the world to throw. I don't remember seeing a lot of that last season. Michael Penix moves in the pocket. And again, Michael he hits I'm, receivers in stride. Obviously, I think Michael Penix Jr. is a better quarterback than Dylan Morris. He's I'm just not ready to incredible. crown him based on he two games against non-conference opponents. Crowned. And when he crushes Michigan State this weekend, you're going to be crowning him too. <sighs> You've like made me more pessimistic about the Huskies. I don't. Your I truly do know how you could approach this game. Michigan State, two key players on defense. Their number one receiver is hurt. UW is. I mean, number one receiver is going to play. That's bringing back basically everybody, full speed, full go ahead, and have <laughs> the best coach in program. No. <laughs> <laughs> best coach I have ever seen on Mollick. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm telling you, this. I, I don't even think it's going to be close. <laughs> I really don't. Chances of victory? I'm going to give way too low of a number after everything I said. <laughs> but I can just, I can feel this victory in my bones. In the way that you could feel the okay. Seahawks victory against the Broncos. We've been feeling it for months. We could see it coming, and then all it took—it took one drive. Well, we couldn't see the loss to Montana coming, couldn't we? No, we no, no. We knew we knew that we were not happy with Jimmy Lake. I was perfectly happy with Jimmy Lake going into last season. They had all these games during the COVID year of having to fucking like climb back from huge deficits because Dylan Morris saved their ass. Or like got got lucky. Like they just they weren't good. They I'm, were a poorly coached team into the COVID season than I am into the first two games of this season. Like it was so unrepresentative of what college football in a non-pandemic setting looks like. So what are you reading into for Jimmy Lake then? Because that's his only good season. I'm. Are you reading I'm, more into the loss against Montana? Yeah. Well, yeah, you should. I he am. is not a good coach. But I'm saying going into that, I did not personally feel concerned about the Jimmy Lake era. Anyway, uh, I, I, 75%. <laughs> I'm at 45? There, 
They also are three and a half point favorites in this game. I am shocked by this information. When I saw that, I had to go double check it because I thought it might be a typo. Do you want to know who knows? Who knows things? Vegas often knows things. The Seahawks were also plus 240 on Monday. So, And well, we'll talk about Vegas knowing things in a second here. I think I think Vegas knows things on Sunday. <laughs> Vegas might know things. <laughs> the Seattle Seahawks. Nothing. Nothing that happened on Monday night changed anything for Vegas. Uh, yeah, it did for like a moment. The line went down to eight and a half briefly, and then it jumped back up to nine and a half. Everybody, all the all the the sharps were like, "Please bring that line down." The Seattle Seahawks, fresh off there. 17-16 win over Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos I just, on Monday night. Before we even talk about that, I just can't fucking wait for this game on Saturday. I mean, I'm hyped. We've got Katie back in the house. When, so Katie's last game was the 2019 Apple Cup. She has not seen a post-Chris Peterson football game in person. God. Wow. It's, I, how, what I would give to be Katie. She wins. She does nothing. She doesn't even come on the Pelton cast. And then she gets Pelton cast MVP. She doesn't even go to a game where Jimmy... She never had to see Jimmy Lake as the head coach. Not once. But she did miss out on Kaylin DeBoer's debut. The thing, the thing was, we actually didn't see Jimmy Lake that... Because you and I didn't go to a lot of the early season Jimmy Lake games. Well, I mean, I didn't see Jimmy Lake's debut because literally no one did. Uh, but, like, the, we, we both missed the COVID year. But even, like, early season, he was gone pretty early during the second season. Yeah, but I was at the Montana game. Well, yeah. You, you were at you that, but I was, at the, I was at the Montana game. I was at the Michigan game, remember? Oh, yeah. But, you flew across the fucking country to watch Jimmy uh, Lake coach. I flew across the country to watch the Seahawks beat the Colts and meet up with Ben Baldwin at halftime. How and terrible does that so game excited. feel now, though? Like, it kind of haunts me, the Colts game. I don't know if it haunts me. I mean, it's... It haunts me. It's just like, this is what could have been. Yeah. This is what could have been, and now Russell Wilson's on the fucking Broncos. The Titans game haunts me. <laughs> it was interesting. You see DVOA went back, and they changed. I, I actually well, they didn't, didn't change something. They added a different model. They tweaked their formula or whatever. Well, no, no. It's, it's a separate formula. I, I think they probably went too far. The Titans shouldn't have won that game. I mean... Well, part of the information is based on what happens in overtime. So based on what happens in overtime, they should have won the game. I don't know. But they shouldn't have even gotten to a tie in the game. They have not factored in Jason Myers missing Chekhov's extra point. <laughs> Did he miss an extra point in that it game? It was early in the game. And it was like, oh, you just, I mean, I'm sure Mina or, and Danny, I think Mina and Danny both tweeted about it. That it was like, you know this is going to come back to matter. And what then they we went to by? overtime. We were up by... 15 or something. I don't know if it was quite that much, but it was a considerable amount. The, the only reason that the Titans, like the Titans just weren't even that good of a team all season and just managed to win these games. That is correct. I don't know if that's going to continue for them. A lot of AFC teams did that last season, as it turns out. Well, I, it, I, things didn't go super well for the Titans in their opener, did they? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I just feel like that team is totally devoid of talent now. We're but we've got the new Ryan Tannehill here in Seattle. <laughs> the the thing about Ryan Tannehill being good after being average for a long period of time, possibly bad, is that now everybody could be Ryan Tannehill. I suppose that's true. It was a 15-point lead at 24-9 at halftime. The touchdown uh, to Freddie Swain made it a 30-16 to 16 game. That's when Jason Myers missed the extra point with 13 minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. I'm sorry, but are, they put Tennessee it as like... Tennessee scored two touchdowns. 
the, they only had what was the new new number for that game? It was like 40, 60, 40, wasn't it? That the Seahawks should have won at 60 40? No, the Tennessee should have won at 60 40. They ran. That is absurd to be up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. But that's not what it's based on. What is the yards per play in the game? It's just that we didn't run plays. Yeah, the point is that DVOA largely correlates to yards per play. But one way you can lose with a massive advantage in yards per play is if the other team runs way more plays than you. No, it's very odd as when, like, Denver on Monday night, you have way more yards per play. And you run way more plays, and you somehow lose the game. You're Chenoweso, baby. In that game, Tennessee ran 80 plays. The Seahawks ran 49. So, uh, or 83-52. I guess I wasn't counting sacks. You know that's going to keep going on Sunday too. Oh, the Seahawks not running very many plays. Oh yeah, no. uh, we'll see how Trey Lance does. Uh, we'll see. Wow, you're really. I thought I was the most down on Trey Lance. Yeah, but I don't think he's like super good at extending drives. We'll talk about that in a second. So anyways, as we were saying, Seahawks off their thrilling 17-16 win over the Broncos and Russell Wilson on Monday uh-huh. football. The 49ers coming off a disastrous loss to the Chicago Bears in a monsoon at Soldier Field, 19-10. to And all, based off all of that, Vegas has come up with 49ers by nine and a half on Sunday. <laughs> Can we just take a second to also just think that I, I said this. It's just like, you know, when you have a really hard thing to do in life, right? You have like a really hard task, something you don't want to do. It's always nice just to get it over with, right? Get it out of the way early. Tackle it head on. Slow clap to the NFL for helping us out with that one. We fucking did it. We're done. We ripped off the bandit. We don't really have to talk about Russell Wilson again. It's not stopped people. But, but, but the reality is the Broncos are going to go off and do what they're going to do. I'm just saying. That has not stopped people. And and the Seahawks are going to have to play games against other teams. P. Carroll can someone, take has, all the has victory laps. Has someone at Seahawks about that? Because at Seahawks is riding hard off this win. Like, they might not have to play 16 more games. They're, they're having, no, I, I, the thing is, you don't understand that football is supposed to be fun. And winning is supposed... It's not about what happens for the next 16 games. It's The issue is not enjoying the moment. Like, what Geno Smith... Everything related to Geno Smith... And like his excitement about getting an opportunity to start on opening day for the first time in eight years, 100% on board with that. Mm-hmm. It's trolling other people that is not but that's, part of the fun of football. They're trolling the Broncos. Like it is they're literally not the, trolling the, the Broncos. only problem you should have they're with this. only trolling Russell Wilson. The only problem you should have with this is multi-billion dollar corporations joking around with other multi-billion dollar corporations. Well, it's It's... That that's the reality of it. It's it's all it's fucking like this is all very gamed. You understand what I mean? This is like but I don't I don't. Think this that, is very strategized I don't think for marketing. Wilson, it's a game, but whatever. Who cares if it's a game for Russell? But Russell, a, there are real people involved here. That's my I'm point. I'm not going to weep for Russell for Wilson to here. Lose sight to like you know Russell, to lose sight of the real humans behind this when you're talking about things online. Okay, but also. The real humans behind this, and we're still talking about like a quarterback who. What was the extension that he got paid? Like, I don't think that money should absolve you of being treated he, like a human. He also asked for a trade from this team. Like, I, I just, I don't think that Seahawks fans should disrespect what we the like times that we had from Russell Wilson. But I'm also not going to weep for Russell Wilson over here, right? This isn't like 
Time, times are changing in college also. Your whole, we don't boo college kids anymore. That oh, shit's over. Well, I don't believe in booing any athletes. That, but that's fine. You understand that all of a sudden college college athletes in the best I, way possible are now professional athletes. I, that's fair. I think there's a difference between supporting your team and being against another team. And I believe in positive fandom that is directed towards being supportive of your team and not against another the, team. And I think most of the ills of sports fandom can be traced to okay. being against another but team. But the only point of this is to have fun. That's it. There's literally, there's but no, it, but there's again, it's no not to have fun benefit. at other people's expense. Okay. I just, I feel like Russell Wilson has set himself up as the WWE gets it right. You have heels in it in Seattle. Russell Wilson is a heel. And he set himself up in that way. And that's But fine. Russell Wilson's not going to stay a heel. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who 20 years down the road are going to pretend they didn't say or think the things they said or thought this week. That's fine. I like to view life with a long view. It doesn't matter, though. You can view life however you want with a long view, but you can't... Projecting now what your opinion will be in 20 years is a it's a zero-sum game. Like just zero sub game. Just I'm just saying, like trying to say, here's what I will think in this time in the future. You not in but that it's time a in the very future. Obvious thing, what you're going to think in that time of the future when it has happened over and over again in your history. I agree. And people don't learn from I the fucking, past. I love Russell Wilson. People were like trying to make fun of me for wearing my Russell Wilson jersey, and I'm like, dog, I I don't know what to tell you. Like we won a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson, and I don't remember us winning a lot of other Super Bowls, but also. We won a Super Bowl with Richard Sherman, and we won a Super Bowl with Doug Baldwin. He's the quarterback. You, of all people, shouldn't be a quarterback wins person, right? I shouldn't be a quarterback wins person. That, I agree with that. The team that won the Super Bowl, if it was just Russell Wilson, if it was Russell Wilson in a bad defense, they don't win the Super Bowl, probably. That is correct. So the reality is everybody was part of it, and in 15, 20 years, everybody's going to get along. Or they're not. Michael Jordan doesn't still seem to get along that well with Scottie Pippen, and they won six NBA championships. Uh, like, it depends what Scottie has said <laughs> within the past week or two. Or whatever, right? But like I've got I've got his uh, autobiography at home. I have not not cracked it open yet. I'm reading Joel McHale's book at the moment. Joel McHale has a book. He does. We're just giving like, everybody a podcast oh, and a book. So. I think so. Oh, God. ESPN's <laughs> Kevin Pelton and Joel McHale. Um I'm surprised nobody's approached you about writing a book. Uh Anyway, you understand what I'm saying is that like Russell Wilson didn't win. He he won the Super Bowl in Seattle. Russell Wilson did. But Richard Sherman also did. And Doug Baldwin also did. And Pete Carroll also did. All of these different parties won the Super Bowl in Seattle. It wasn't one of them. That's the but piece. But only some the, of them are complaining about the one of them getting too much credit. That's fine. Because I don't think it is fine. But also, quarterbacks are almost always going to get more credit than every other position is. And yeah, because they're the most important position, objectively. There's a push and pull. Was Russell Wilson the most important position on that team? Yes. I mean, I yes, because you can't exactly isolate the value of an individual quarterback yes. or whatever. But the, was the defense as a whole more important than Russell Wilson as a player? The defense as a whole was better than the offense. So... As as a collective unit, there there's nobody who stood out necessarily from that. But the reality is, like, we're just in this moment. We're having fun. It's not a big deal. I don't think everyone's having fun. Nobody's going to go fucking full QAnon and start murdering people over Russell Wilson. Everybody's fine. Okay? Like, the reality is, like, Doug Baldwin posting on Twitter, we're just having a good time on Twitter. 
and you should accept that that is no fine. No one is having a good time on Twitter. Let's be clear about that. I think Doug Baldwin was having a good time on Twitter. He might have been having a good time on Monday. I don't think Doug Baldwin's having a good time all the time on Twitter. Richard Sherman is having a good time, and we will love all of these players in the future. We will love Russ forever. We will love Richard Sherman forever because we have the memory of winning the Super Bowl, and you have these moments in the same way I never once felt bad about A-Rod leaving because I always was pro-A-Rod, <laughs> anti-Mariner in the time. Pro-A-Rod. People need to stop comparing this to Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez played here like five minutes compared to Russell Wilson. If I hear that comparison one more time, I'm going to throw up. But but the visceral reaction that he had when he came back, there's never been... That's why people are making that comparison. But it wasn't that strong either. Oh, people hated him. Our no, no, no. I'm saying wrote a fucking Christmas newsletter about I'm it. I'm saying Russell Wilson, the reaction has not been as strong as Alex Rodriguez. Nothing will be as be that. Okay. Because we have evolved past that in sports fandom to a degree. I do not. Were you not there on Monday? Booing people is one thing. No one burned Russell Wilson's jersey. People were that throwing is true. money. There was no- at the field or whatever they were doing with A-Rod. Like, there was no jersey burning, really. Like, there are levels to this shit. It's actually, I, got, I gotta say, I'm impressed with fans. No no jersey burning. I, I did not see a single at any point. Pe- <laughs> did anyone burn G- a Jake Locker jersey, though? <laughs> <laughs> Still got that jersey somewhere. You're, so you're saying that you don't agree with the a I, I feel like it is the only time in Seattle history, those are the two, uh, that a return felt as visceral. I, the Sean Kemp thing was pretty, pretty substantial in the moment. That is, I, I don't remember Sean Kemp. I still feel like people were really behind Sean Kemp. They were not. No, I assure you they were not. There's something Speaking about someone who was behind Sean being Kemp the like, whole time. have fun in Cleveland, dog. Anyway. A trade that really worked out for no parties involved. <laughs> we got a great quote from Ichiro about it. <laughs> Did we? About Cleveland? Oh yes. Uh, I don't think I think that would have come with it without Sean Kemp playing there. Uh, so uh, quickly, the Seahawks still not sure whether Jamal Adams will need surgery, according to Pete Carroll on Tuesday. Uh, long snapper Tyler Ott and Alton Robinson did go on IR. Thankful, thankfully, Ott's absence was not noticeable on Monday. That's certainly a, a position where it can be a little dicey. It's uh, the position you you just want to not notice. In Cincinnati, at least. Right. Yeah. Uh, Seahawks ended up 20th in DVOA, which is better than I expected, honestly. Uh, 21st on offense, 23rd on defense, number one on special teams. There we go. If you want the reason people underestimated this year's Seahawks team, special teams, I think, a big factor in it. They were not actually very good in coverage in the preseason, but historically have been pretty good there. Throughout the preseason. Yeah, exactly. 49ers come in after that loss to Chicago. 17th in DVOA, 28th in offense, 5th in defense, 11th in special teams. Obviously, these are not yet adjusted for opponent. But, like, you do have to look at it and say, you see these DVOAs. The 49ers were in a very strange situation, obviously, with the weather. But the 9.5 is a little bit is a little bit much. It probably is a bit much. I, w- I would wager on the Seahawks again. If, if it were me, this should be, like, a 4.5 line. Mm, I think maybe 5.5, 6. So let's talk about Trey Lance, who I think is interesting because you look at his box score stats last season, not all that dissimilar from Jimmy Garoppolo's, but then you look at the advanced stats, the EPA, DVOA, QBR, substantially worse than Jimmy G. 
Part of the explanation is you'll recall the touchdown to Debo Samuel against the Seahawks busted coverage last year, which went for seventy six yards. Caught that, yeah, and accounted for thirteen percent of all of Trey Lance's yards on that one play. Uh, Lance was also less effective after the thir- g- the game was over at that point. Basically, no, it was not over. That was like a legit game at that point. The Mariner, you're thinking of the Mariners. That game was already over by that point. Uh, third and fourth down situations, Lance was also not as effective. Converted just 33% of all opportunities last season. He was at 40% third down conversions last week. The impact of the weather, both Justin Fields and Trey Lance in the bottom three in CPOA in week one and like below minus 16%. So definitely seemed to be a weather factor there. The one thing I'd say about the Trey Lance, like people who really were excited about him, this dominant rushing attack that we were promised, like, can you imagine Kyle Shanahan with a rushing threat at quarterback has yet to materialize. There were been one game also. Well, but he played multiple games. We're 13th in rush DVOA in week one. The run game was pretty average in the two appearances he had early last season, including that relief appearance against the the Seahawks in his start the next week. And then they had one of their weakest running games of the season in his second start at Houston in week 17. They were fourth overall in rush DVOA last season. Uh, that was led by a rushing attack that was led by Elijah Mitchell, who suffered an MCL sprain on Sunday, <clears throat> was placed on IR, expected to be out a couple of months. That made it 21 to 13. And then the Seahawks scored a touchdown right after that. Yeah, but that was a game. It was it was a game. It, I I mean, I remember the play and just being like, they have fucking trash Trey Lance and we're winning. Like, I distinctly remember watching that game. And then there was the busted coverage play. But you you sports fans are smart enough to understand long-term view like you're talking about. You understand when there's turnovers that happen, that turnovers are random, generally. I and don't think that people do understand that. You understand if you're the Cincinnati Bengals and you've turned the ball over five times and you're still like close to winning a game, the Bengals are fine. Yeah, but what if you're the Cincinnati <clears throat> Bengals and you come up with two interceptions a game every game in the postseason and make the Super Bowl? Do your fans understand that was the reason you made the Super Bowl? Yeah, I understand it when I said that the Rams had a fucking faux Super Bowl of who they played. Who didn't oh, understand God. that? Have I not been saying it from the second it happened? Uh, what I will say here is... They played it, maybe the worst Super Bowl opponent of the last fucking two decades. I think fans are a lot more willing to consider randomness as a factor <clears throat> when it works against their team rather than in their team's favor. I don't think that's true. Oh, that is 100% no. true. Maybe, quote-unquote, quote, quote fans. But if you know what you're talking about, and you're like, hey, we've picked the ball three times, and we're up by... Or we just got a very lucky 76-yard touchdown. If I was a Niners fan in that situation, I'd be like, we're screwed. I don't think... I Maybe don't fans that. aren't pessimist enough. <laughs> Uh, so Jeff Wilson Jr. and Debo Samuel split the carries for the 49ers after Mitchell left the game. Wilson was ineffective last season after coming back from meniscus tear, had nine of carries for 22 yards against the Bears. It was like straight up monsoon had started at that point. Yeah. I feel like that and, doesn't and necessarily make running harder. Running can be effective because of the threat of passing. And that is why when you talked about why we haven't seen... People don't give Lamar Jackson enough credit. I agree. The And very good running quarterbacks. They don't give them enough credit. Because if all you can do is run as a quarterback, and the defense knows that all you can do is run, it's not hard to stop the run. I'm not convinced that the quarter defense knows that all Trey Lance can do is run. But... I'm not ready to go that far. But in that situation... In the monsoon, I, it's just like pass, 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. Pass the if other you want runner, to. rushers were effective. Elijah Mitchell had six carries for 41 yards before he went out. Debo had eight for 52. The weather changed during that game. The other thing is, I really, this idea of Kyle Shanahan is genius is like turning your very, very expensive wide receiver into a running back is not a genius thing. I'm sorry. But the, every carry that Debo Samuel gets, not maybe not every carry, it's fine to give Debo Samuel a couple carries in different situations. But if Debo Samuel is playing as a traditional running back in almost any way, that is a waste of Debo Samuel. That is a waste of an asset. Because basically anytime you run versus pass, you've done the wrong thing in that situation. I'd right? be curious to know what if we could get the splits on what their EPA was with him at running back versus wide receiver. I'd be curious about that. Because I don't... Like, their offense... <clears throat> didn't fall off during the second half of last season when he moved to running back. So you thought Debo Samuel moved to running back last season. This is like when the fucking Huskies played Shaq Thompson as their running back full time or whatever. When the, the, the Huskies tried to play Jake Locker at safety. Like sometimes you just have to understand positional value. You, you could get a running back off the street who will be just as effective. So if you're taking the, one of the highest paid players on your team and making them a running back, the value that Debo Samuel has is to create space to let the running backs run the ball. I mean, I probably agree. I agree with that in theory. I would just like to see it in practice. You know, how it played out in practice. Uh, Debo was targeted even, eight times. Even if it played out in practice for a short period of time well, it's still not a good decision long term. Debo was targeted eight times in week one, caught just two of those for 14 yards, lost a fumble. Brandon Ayuk had two catches for 40 yards and seven targets. Sounds like running back stats. Jawan Johnson was their most productive receiver in this game. Notably, George Kittle did not play last week due to a groin injury. He told NFL Network on Tuesday that his goal was, or on Wednesday, that his goal is to play this week. What a weird like thing to report. My goal is to play this week, too. <laughs> is it? I sure. you want to play? Uh, I don't know if I want to play. I'm, I, I mean, I'm, ready. I'm not ready to play. I'm still coming back for COVID. I'm <laughs> targeting the end of the season at best. Uh, the 49ers went one and two in the three. George games. Kittle's not playing. Also, the, the 49ers went one and two in the three games Kittle missed last season. One of which was a land start. They went one and one without him in 2019 when they were 12 and two in his 14 starts. But they did have the same record three and five with and without Kittle in 2020 when they went six and ten. That's correct. The genius Kyle Shanahan went six and ten. I I just I I really think the thing that you're talking about when when people are like, can you imagine? <laughs> right is yes i can imagine the 49ers with trey lance as their quarterback being able to run the ball occasionally easily can imagine that it's always one of those situations when trey lance the the player is never good enough the situation's never actually as good as you think it is or whatever and it can't actually get that much better than it was right lamar jackson in the ravens offense maybe maybe one of one but also, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens' offense have... Lamar Jackson is a good passer. He's a capable passer. Lamar Jackson is a very good passer. Yeah. But I, I really think you need both of those pieces in the NFL. You can't just say, like, this person's a great runner. They'll figure it out. We haven't seen it yet from Trey Lance as a passer. And when we do we see it... We have not. If we were to see that, he'd be winning the MVP like Lamar Jackson did. 
But but he also hasn't been as good a runner as Lamar Jackson is. Like Lamar Jackson is also an amazing runner. But he's an amazing runner also because of the passing ability. It's kind of like all of it fits together. I mean, yes, but I feel like even if Lamar Jackson were a worse passer, he would still be a dangerous running threat. I, I mean, I suppose Hurts better, is probably a more accurate comparison. I think he's a better runner than than Trey Lance is. Hurts is a better runner than Trey Lance is. I I just still I just feel like Trey Lance has not really had success at this high of a level. You know, like we but have he also has again played four games at this high level. We have not seen it. So I'm and not gonna rule anything out yet. For Jalen Hurts, we saw him he did he win the Heisman or was he just a Heisman finalist? Uh, and did he win he the national championship or did he was just played in the national championship game at Alabama? Yeah. Well, he played and they won the champion in the game. They won in the national. Oh, championship. he was benched for Tua. Yeah. In, in the championship. Yeah. I'd have... <laughs> he still looked pretty comfortable against that Husky defense. Well, <laughs> say <laughs> uh, the 49ers defense is ranked in the top seven in DVOA <clears throat> each of the last three years. They were particularly dominant on run defense last year. Pass defense only average, and they added Shavarius Ward from Kansas City to try to solidify their cornerback spot opposite Emmanuel Mosley, which was a bit of a revolving door last season. I'll be very fascinated to see how these tackles hold up. You know, it was interesting. How, would, how do you feel like Charles Cross played in the first game? Cross and Lucas. I thought Lucas played better than Cross. Lucas is definitely in the moment ahead of Cross, it feels like, despite their where they were drafted. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. I mean, I don't think Cross had a bad game. You know, Pete Carroll talked about that Geno Smith could have moved up in the pocket to avoid the sack that was charged to Cross. <clears throat> I, I mean, for his debut, I, I feel totally fine about it. I mean, find I, a positive. To to me, the on track. the most fascinating piece of this game is going to be. I mean, uh, whether we see a continuation of Shane Waldron having some say in what the offense looks like, and this early down pass rate that we saw against against the Broncos in Week One. If the Seahawks run the proper offense and they pass on early downs. I, I wouldn't be surprised for them to eke out a victory here. If we see a ton of Rashad Penny or whatever, I, I also think the defense has been uniquely set up to defend against this exact style of offense. And I think that Pete Carroll, he saw, he got beat by some end arounds or whatever. <laughs> and he was just like, never again. I mean, not this, some, like so many in 2019. But but I really think... Or was that 2020? Whatever year that was. Pete Carroll's been working his whole life to stop this type of offense that the 49ers are going to run. And Trey Lance is not... They played against Russell fucking Wilson last week. You know what I mean? Like, if the expectation is that Trey Lance is going to pass the ball against... Well, I guess it's back down to 8.5, by the way, the spread. So there, there we go. go. If, if the expectation is that Russell... Or that Trey Lance is going to pass the ball against Tariq Woolen and Mike Jackson or whomever is playing at cornerback, as well as Russell Wilson did, that is not going to happen. Sure, yeah. There are certain types of quarterbacks that do very well against the Seahawks' defense, and Trey Lance really isn't that type of quarterback. Maybe he needs needs to be about 20 years older. (laughs) A lot slower. A lot slower, but it's about finding the soft spots, right? And there are certain... Russell Wilson is like uniquely built... 
to play against the Seahawks defense. And even then, they they didn't play terribly. Russ didn't have an amazing game. He had he a good game. He wasn't super sharp. Where did he rank in the uh, quick reads, by the way? Uh, well, quick reads, does it come out on Tuesday? Yeah, I guess it does. Tuesday morning. I did not take a look at that. Uh, but it wasn't like Russ had an amazing game. And he had no. a couple of big plays against this defense that I just don't, I don't really buy that Trey Lance is going to have. So No, I, I, <clears throat> I buy that Trey Lance is going to have those. I think Trey Lance <clears throat> is more boomer bust. I mean, the 49ers offense in general is very boomer bust, but I think Trey Lance in particular like, is going to be boomer bust. The, the big defensive breakdowns. <laughs> I'm not going to rule those you, out. But I'm, you can't like slot in a 60-yard touchdown. All right, slot him in. Sure. But also, the, like, yeah, I mean, I think the big question he's going to turn the ball over at some can point. Can the 49ers sustain drives? I mean, his turnover rate actually wasn't that bad last season. His interception rate, like I said, was the almost identical to Jimmy Garoppolo's. So, I I think the question is, can the 49ers sustain long drives against the Seahawks defense? Because, as you've said, that's the way you beat this defense. And it's not really what Trey Lance's skill set is designed to do. Or maybe it is, I guess, in an ideal world. It has, isn't how it's played out thus far. I, I weirdly feel... Maybe they're not doing quick reads anymore. Um, <clears throat> I weirdly feel good about this game. Like, I, <laughs> I just... I don't know if Trey Lance right now... Trey Lance might grow into that quarterback or whatever. I, I, I think you're putting too much focus on Trey Lance. I think you need to just consider, like... How much more talent the 49ers have is a team than the Seattle Seahawks. Is it that much more? Yes. Yes. I mean, their front four, their front seven is <clears throat> extremely good. One of the best in the league. That That's what I think it comes down to, though, is can the Seahawks move the ball? And I, it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think that's probably true. <sighs> I, I think I'm at like a 40% chance of victory here. Do you want to know what FBI has? 26. I think that's too low. I'm at 35. The classic me, you minus 5%. Yeah. I, but like we're going to go into this game. Look, I, like I said, I can't even tell if I want the Seahawks to win this game. <laughs> this is not being rosy about it. You know? I'm not like, this is not being a homer. It's just, I'm looking at the situation. We've seen... What quarterbacks like Trey Lance, they don't do that well against the Seahawks defense. Uchenna Wilson is awesome. And having him on the edge is going to be really exciting. I don't think the 49ers are going to score a lot of points. If the Seahawks pass on early downs, if they're able to you know, continue to create space the way that they did for these tight ends for Geno early on. I, I don't think the tight end thing is going to carry over at all. I think that was strictly busted coverage by the Broncos. It might have been. I think the big question is, can they protect Geno as well as they did in week one? Because again... In the first half. All, everything that happens just deserves the asterisk in the first half. Correct. I mean, they just didn't throw that many passes. But yeah, I think they were sacked on two of 12 in the second half. I, but one, as we mentioned last week, a big question about the Broncos was how good their pass rush was going to be after Chubb was coming off a disappointing 2021 and Randy Gregory was coming back from injuries. The 49ers are a major step up in competition in terms of pass rush. So I, I that's a big reason I don't think the Seahawks are going to score very many points in this game. Yeah. Let me pull up the quick reads. Patrick Mahomes threatens opening day records. 
Okay, let me scroll through. Okay, those are the opening day records. Show me the quarterbacks. Russ was number three in quick reads. Sounds about right. Literally the top three were AFC West quarterbacks. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, wait, where's Derek Carr? Was he four? God damn it. <laughs> <clears throat> Gino is number 14. I, look, Gino played well. Can't argue that. Derek Carr was 27. Yeah, it turns out when you throw three interceptions, you cost your team a lot of value. Do you want to know who's 28? Is it Trey Lance? Trey Lance. Uh, uh, also, when you, when you go 13 of 28, Aaron Rodgers at number 30. I, I really have to say, the idea that the Packers are fine, like, I really think this, like, there's, like, such a pervasive perspective. This is totally unrelated, I think. But there's such a pervasive perspective. We talked about this ourselves throughout football of, like, the Packers got crushed by the Saints last year and they were fine after that. Therefore, the Packers are fine. And this idea that if something happened last year, it will inherently happen again is such a stupid thing. I mean, I don't think it should be one-to-one, but the fact that the Packers could lose to the Saints so badly in Week 1 and Aaron Rodgers could win MVP, and they had the number one seed, right? Mm-hmm. They got the lone buy. I think it's a pretty good example of... It's not time to the panic. The possible variability of between week people one and the rest of the season. People aren't treating it as though there's a possible variability, though. I people are think, treating it as if the Packers are... Literally, it means nothing. But you're, the reason people are doing that is in response to the overreaction to week one. Didn't Rodgers have a lot of turnovers in that game against the Saints? And aren't turnovers more random than just not being... Yes. Rodgers had the NFL's worst DR on deep passes, going one for five for 23 yards with an interception. Well, I mean, that's because of the fact that Christian what? Watson dropped a pass that hit him but right in the head. Christian Watson is not going to be wide open every single game like well, that. Well, he's also not going to be playing if Ellen Lazard is back in the lineup. I, I think what you're not understanding God, is that... Just inject this, this fucking DR into my veins. Matthew Stafford at number 32. I think what you're not understanding is that oftentimes the... When there is a tendency towards overreaction, the overcorrection towards that will be to downplay any concerns. Okay. People will overcorrect too far in the opposite direction. So, I, you I, can debate whether I'm overcorrecting too far in the opposite direction about the CX Week 1 win. <laughs> or Vegas, for that far. Better. That's, a, that's an exercise for the listener. On that note, thanks for listening. Thanks.